Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. You know, there's a saying that says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, and I think this is an opportunity for me to give back to the community. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from the mayor of Georgetown, Texas, actually. Dale is a CPA in public practice and currently serves as the mayor as well. In fact, you may have seen Dale on national news programs or even a few documentaries recently. He talks about those experiences a few times throughout the interview. I brought Dale on the show because I always find it fascinating when we accountants are able to use our knowledge and training to serve in other areas of our life. I want to go ahead and get into the show, but before we do, I have one favor to ask you as the listening audience, if if you'll bear with me. It's somewhat difficult to tell where all our listeners come from, so if you could do me a big favor. If you're hearing this podcast, please email us and let us know about where you're from. I know we have a large percentage of listeners in the Texas area, but I'm really curious to see how many listeners we have from other states outside of Texas, or maybe even outside the United States, period. It's just a request, but that would be very interesting and very helpful to see where all we are heard across the podcasting world. You can contact us at info at whereaccountantsgo.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at whereaccountantsgo.com. Thank you very much. It's much appreciated. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Dale Ross, CPA in Georgetown, Texas. Well, good morning, Dale. Thank you for coming on the show to share your story with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, Mark, it's an honor and privilege to be with you. Wonderful. Thank you. So we've interviewed several accountants from industry, and we've definitely had a few individuals from public accounting as well, and even a couple with political involvement, but you've done all three. So I'm really looking forward to this interview. For our audience's information, Dale is currently the mayor of the city of Georgetown, which is a a city just north of Austin, Texas, but he's also a CPA in public practice. Well, Dale, I I definitely want to get some of the background on how you decided to run for mayor. But first, I always like to start at the beginning so our audience gets sort of a better idea of how you arrived at where you are today and how your career has progressed. So let's let's start there. What led you to even think about accounting as a career in the first place? Well, you know, I had one of the coolest jobs when I was oh between 18 and 30 and it was running an athletic facility that had a uh, a restaurant and a bar so people could come play softball games and beach volleyball games and then they come to a very rustic 
clubhouse to eat burgers and dogs and and uh, have adult beverages if they liked. And, you know, we did have co-ed leagues. So at that point in time, I was not married. So my job was to socialize with both men and women. And then they actually paid me to do that. However, you can only do that so long, and then you have to get a grown-up job. And so what I was doing is I was thinking about what kind of career do I want. And I had certain parameters. One, I wanted it to be relatively recession-proof, and I wanted it to be a career that it took some talent to get into so that you were in high demand from employers And then the third thing I wanted it to do is I wanted it so that I could open my own business eventually. And so I was too old to be a doctor or a dentist. And so I went through the career, different careers. And then I came up with accountant and specifically a tax accountant because accounting services are an inelastic good if you want to follow the tax law and you're required to hire a tax attorney either from the business level or the individual level, you have to file them or else you get in trouble. And so even in good times and bad, people have to file tax returns, and part of tax returns are the accounting. So I came to the conclusion that that would give me job security in one way or another for the rest of my life. And so that's how I came to be a tax accountant. Wow, that's very scientific. Actually, I have to say a whole lot more planned than some of our our previous guests. Well, what was planned, because you remember, I got a little bit of a late start on my education, Mm. okay? You know, I went to, oh, yeah, I went to college when I was 18, but not really seriously. And then when I was 30, I went back and I went to Houston Baptist University and got two degrees, one in management and one in political science. And then I continued on and got an MBA with a concentration in accounting. And then I uh, passed the uh, CPA exam. And so I felt like I was in in pretty good shape to pursue my career as a tax accountant. Interesting. Okay, I didn't realize you had gotten your your education later in life. That makes a lot of sense. I did. but And and that's the learning lesson to people. It's never too late to go to college and and get three degrees. And you can do that. And with a lot of respect, that that allows you to leapfrog over some other folks. Uh, I mean, I think it's almost an essential to have some kind of master's degree these days, whether it's an MBA in management or a master's in tax or a master's in tax law. If you're in the accounting field, you need to have that that credential, as well as CPA license. Uh, you got to have that if you really want to go to the highest levels. Okay. So what, what happened is then after my management days and running athletic facilities and uh, were over because I was able to get um, uh, my degrees and my CPA license, I joined a, a Global 20 company as a tax manager. And when I joined them, I knew that I was going to stay there for a while. Okay. To, and, you know, to get the experience and knowledge and stuff. And it was a wonderful stay. But I always knew that I was going to start my own practice. And I did that. After working for the company for about seven years, I uh, opened my own public accounting practice. And at first, I had a large client that I did all their monthly stuff. And then I brought on some initial clients. And that, that was through postcard advertising, which I think is the most effective way is direct mail. However, I did that for a year. And then the next, the second year, I bought two CPA practices, bought them all in the same week. 
And so then we had two of the ones that I acquired that got merged with mine. So there you go. You got an instant practice just like that. Wonderful. I'm curious, how did you get that first large client? The first large client was just through my connections out there with the company I was working with. Okay, and they what basically what happened is they had a tax manager that quit, and then they just wanted me to just work as a consultant, as a contractor for as long as it took for them to hire a tax manager. Which fortunately for me took about six years for them to um, <laughs> to, to backfill that position. That worked out really well. <laughs> it did indeed. I was very blessed when when that happened, and. Then I had that, and then I bought two practices uh, in addition to the clients that, that I brought on. Okay. Gosh, I, I've got a few things I want to ask you about there. I, I was looking online. I'm, I'm assuming that Global 20 company you're referring to is Siemens, is that? Absolutely. Okay. Siemens, 450,000 employees worldwide, 250,000 in the U.S. when I worked for them. The year that I left, we had global sales of $90 billion dollars. And we had 15 operating companies in the U.S. And my role was to manage the sales and use tax function for 15 companies and also the property tax, a component of that. Now, we did provide for the tax uh, income tax provision, but we didn't do the income tax return. There was a separate department in Siemens that did that. Okay. That obviously is a big job. Not a lot of free time, I'm assuming. Did you start to develop your practice a little before leaving, or was there a, a hard yeah? There was there were there was about a year where I was uh, doing stuff outside of normal business hours for the one large client, and then there was enough work there to keep me busy when I started my own practice. But one of the things that I did is I, I made sure that before I opened my practice that I had two years worth of living expenses saved up and in the bank so that there would not be any rush to take on any undesirable clients or clients that wouldn't be a good fit with the firm. So I think if anybody's going to start their own practice, you need to save up money before you do it so that you have the discretion of accepting clients or not accepting clients. I mean, if you accept a bad client, I mean, it's sort of like getting married and then having to get a divorce. The divorce is not too pleasant. Sure, sure. (laughs) <laughs> Very painful for both sides. <laughs> right. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned you purchased two practices as well. I, we, we've had a few guests that grew that way also. Did you use a broker out of curiosity, or how did those opportunities come to you? I used a broker on one, and I used, I just used me on the other because I was negotiating with both CPA firms at the same time. And the reason I was doing that is because you know, the art of the deal is, you know, you just don't do one deal at a time because if that deal goes bad, then you have nothing to fall back on. And fortunately, I was able to work out both of those deals, but either one will work. I used a broker on one and then I just uh, had my lawyer work with her lawyer on the other one. Okay. Any tips for younger CPA entrepreneurs that are looking to acquire a practice, anything you learn through those experiences? Oh, absolutely. And I was fortunate that I did a lot of research before we put the agreements together. You don't ever know how strong the relationship was between the clients and the previous CPA. And you can't measure that. You don't know how many clients were just waiting to leave 
when the CPA either sold a practice or retired. So I always have a retention clause in there so that there is a clawback. If you think you're buying $500,000 worth of revenue, then in that first year, if it comes in at 400000 then there has to be a pro rata refund on the, on the sales price. Now, the biggest thing that, that I've, I've learned about this is the sellers think it's all about the buyer being able to retain the clients in the first year, and that's absolutely false. The seller has much more impact on the clients transitioning to the new owner than the buyer does, the new owner does. I mean, how can you lose a client if you never have an opportunity to, to provide them with services? So I think it's important that you have a clawback in there. And you also want to motivate the seller to help in the transition and work real hard to make sure those clients come over. And that's the biggest learning thing that I took out of buying two of them. Because one, one of the firms that I acquired, we had 94% of the clients come over. And the owner, she just worked so hard to ensure that. The other one only had 73% of the clients come over. And that's because the owner and his wife were pretty much after the ink was dry on the contract said, yippee, we are in retirement, although the contract uh, indicated that they had a huge responsibility to help in the transition. Interesting. Anything specific that a seller can do in that case to help in that Is there anything that comes to mind that you would advise? Well, absolutely. You know, what I would do is I would use the 80-20 rule. In a lot of CPA firms, 80% of your revenue is created by 20% of your client base. And so the, the seller should spend the time and effort to take the buyer and personally introduce them to, say, the, the, the largest 20% of their clients. And so if a, if a firm has 500 clients, I mean, that would only be maybe 100 clients. And I think the other thing is the, the seller, well, you need to build in many months, say two or three months, to make the transition. And I know, I know a lot of people want to buy at January 1st because then tax season's there and they immediately get revenue. I think a better, di- a better time to buy a CPA practice is October 16th. Because then the majority of the tax returns have been completed. You have the monthly work you can work on. But it gives you two and a half months to go out there and meet your new clients. And the seller can help in that transition by making those introductions. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you. I I know that wasn't one of the topics we we talked about, but I didn't realize you had purchased a couple practices. That's definitely of interest (laughs) to some of the people who listen to the program. So tell us about your firm now before we get into the role of mayor. Tell us about Ross and Champion. Yeah, Ross and Champion, you know, started in 2005. And first of all, it was just me. And then in the first week of 07, bought two CPA practices and acquired a couple of employees. And then three years ago, Sherry Champion contacted me and she congratulated on me on being elected mayor and just thought that maybe I might need another CPA. And she has been a true blessing. She is one of the most technically strong CPAs I've ever met in my life, and I've met a lot of them. But more importantly, she's got the people skills. And she is incredible with working with clients at all different levels. And that changed the face of the firm. So we started with me. 
And then Sherry's on board. She's a named equity stakeholder, and she does an amazing job, and we get along so well. And she contributes so much to the firm. And now we have nine employees, including uh, me and Sherry. And okay. so it grew from one to to nine, I guess, in about ten in about ten years. And our firm focuses on taxes, all kinds of taxes, where whether it's income, sales and use, property. We do payroll support. We do non compilations when it comes to bookkeeping. We do audit defenses, both on the income and sales and use tax side. And that's what we do. We do not do audit, financial audits, and we do not do, we, do, we don't work with nonprofits. So okay. uh, other than that, we pretty much do everything else that you would normally think a CPA firm does. Okay. Wonderful. So you've been mayor since 2014, is that? 2014, just uh, served a three-year term, and then this May I was reelected by the good people of Georgetown. Wonderful. How did that come up? Has this been a lifelong dream, or did, did someone mention the idea to you and, and you took off with it? What? How did you pursue it? No, it all started over a driveway. Okay. Um, the driveway opened my political career. When we bought a house, uh, my wife, Mickey, and I bought a house in the historic district. It's a 1913 house. So, when we bought it, we, we had a lot of fixing up to do, but one of the most pressing things, we had a crumbling driveway. And so I hired a contractor, and then we put the, his, you know, the brick, the red brick, we put that in the driveway instead of concrete because we thought that would, you know, add to the ambiance of the house. And, I mean, that's what they had in the old days, back in the 1900s, brick. And so we did a, we did a project in the city of Georgetown, red flag my project. I came home one day, and they said, stop work. And I went and talked to the, the folks down in planning, and they indicated that uh, a third of my driveway was in the easement and that that would have to be concrete. I could put two-thirds of the driveway with red brick. And I looked at them with just this bewildered look like, are you crazy? That is going to look so horrible to have a driveway that is two-thirds brick and one-third concrete. So I talked to my city council rep, and then... I talked to some other people in the city, and finally we came to an agreement. I had to sign off if they ever had to, in the easement, if they ever had to go through my driveway, that I understand that they may not be able to put the brick back. And I just thought that this took me too much time and effort, and there had to be a better way to run government. And if I'm not willing to step up and run and give my time and talent, then who will? And so I ran for city council. Ran for city council, and, you know, these are nonpartisan races in theory. My district and the historic district is more progressive and liberal-leaning, and I'm a fiscal conservative Republican. So I won my first campaign by 17 votes, and then I ran for re-election as a council member, and I lost by eight. And so I never really wanted to be mayor, but then I looked at the numbers. And if I was going to run for council again, it would be a single-digit race. And I don't think me and my wife could do another single digit because I looked at the numbers citywide, and I felt pretty confident that the vast majority of the voters in Georgetown have the same political views I do and the same financial views and the same tax policy views as I do. And so I said, okay, if I can't win a council seat again, I know I can win mayor, so we ran for mayor. 
And we, we ended up winning. We, we uh, got reelected in May, and uh, uh, the margin was 72 to 28. And when I say we, if anybody's thinking about getting into local politics or otherwise, your spouse has to absolutely be 100% on board or it's not going to work. And I have the most amazing wife. She is such an asset, on, not only in the community on a day-to-day basis because of what she does. She's the executive director of the Williamson History Museum. But in, in campaign, she is just an amazing campaigner. I always say that I'm only afraid of one person that I would run against in Georgetown. And uh, if my wife ran for mayor, I would not run for re-election because she would definitely beat me. <laughs> she's, she's popular, because I always say, I always say uh, she knows more people than I do, and they actually like her. And so, <laughs> but but the, campaign, the campaigns are good. It takes a lot of time. But, you know, one of the things that we look at, you know, there's a saying that says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I think this is an opportunity for me to give back to the community that has been so good for the CPA firm. They've allowed me to live my dream. And all the good people of Georgetown have supported the Williamson History Museum with their time, talent, and treasure. Without their support, my wife would not be able to live her dream. So this is just one way to give back to the community. And it's a lot of fun also. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun too. Hmm. You know, it sounds like when you started, when you were elected mayor the first time, and definitely during some of that city council period, that you were still the sole owner of your firm, correct? The sole owner of your CPA firm. I was. Okay, yeah. That's... For the first year that I was in office. How did you manage that? That's a challenge. I did have a admin that helped me. But that was the, I always wanted a, I wanted a CPA practice. I didn't want to be a sole proprietor because in a lot of ways, if you're just buying a CPA practice and it's just enough work for one person, you're basically buying a job. I wanted a business. I wanted to grow the business. I wanted to be able, as I worked through my career, at the end of the, my business life cycle, I want to be able to sell the firm. And it's going to be a really quality firm that people can take over and really enjoy. And so that's, you're right, though, that first year, it it was a struggle. But then again, I was considerably younger, too, okay? Uh, And so, you you know, you can get by with four or five hours sleep if you have to. Okay, okay. I I knew part of it was your team, but it just, that's interesting because I know that was before Sherry. And not everybody is able to make it to that point where where they are able to delegate enough to their team. So congratulations. Well, you know, I, I, again, I just wanted to, I wanted to have a, a business. I didn't want to just buy a job. And so the firm has evolved over time. It's ever-changing. And, you know, Sherry was the real huge asset, and it's transformed the firm. And she and I have positioned it for even more growth over the years. And then we have. I mean, we've, we've grown, you know, the business three times, I guess, in in about three or four years. And so right now, you know, we're very judicious and new clients and ask all the right questions. And we don't accept uh, all clients. And and I think sometimes clients are shocked that we won't accept them as new clients. But it has to be a good fit. And we're in it for the long run. And we want to be a trusted advisor and consultant to you. 
We don't want to just be in the transactional business where we do your tax return, give it to you, and then, hey, see you in a year. Because our thing is all about the relationship. We're, we're, we don't compete on price. We compete on quality and service. And most business models, you can only have two out of the three. We are not the least expensive, but we will produce high quality and great customer service for you. Sure. Yeah, you can have it fast, you can have it right, or you can have it cheap. You can only pick right. it. Right, yeah, and we don't really consider price. I mean, it is what it is on the on the fees. We have very talented sure. people that work here. They're professionals, and we want to keep them, so we pay them professional benefits and professional wages. So that's why we are. I mean, we want to grow the firm in the right way. You want quality clients that respect and value what we do for them. And if it's just about price, then maybe clients don't, care that much about quality that they're so obsessed with pricing so sure well getting back to the position of mayor and, and your city council work as well what have you most enjoyed about well, most things is, is if you can just as mayor if you can make somebody comes to you and you make their day better whether it's a for those children or some of the elderly citizens we have, or just any any citizen, if you, by coming in contact with them, if you can make their day better, that makes it all worthwhile. What has surprised you since you got uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, we talk about? <laughs> well, the thing is, what surprised me was, is we have a city-owned utility department, and in 2016, we went to 100% renewable energy with wind and solar. And uh, in 17, we'll be about 90% because our solar farm won't come online until the first part of 2018. And so what has surprised me, how this small town, Georgetown, which is north of Austin, and it's great that Austin's a suburb of our town. We we love all the amenities it offers <laughs> us. We can go in there, use our amenities, and come back to normal land. Because, you know, Austin says, hey, Austin, keep Austin weird. And, you know, in Georgetown, we say, hey, Austin, please keep your weird. But <laughs> what we what we do is this has gone international. And so this year I'm in three movies, three documentaries. One of them has been released already. It's on National Geographic called From the Ashes. And it's a documentary about transitioning from coal energy to green energy. And today is uh, July 28th on NBC Nightly News. I will be on the national news with Ann Thompson, she came to Georgetown several weeks ago to film and talk about our green energy, and and uh, that'll be on. The other two movies is an inconvenient sequel, which is Al Gore's movie, and it, it's it's debuting today, the 28th, but nationwide received on August 4th, and I'm in it, and City of Georgetown's in it. And then we have another uh, documentary coming out, Jamie Redford, the son of Robert Redford, uh, that documentary called Happening will be debuting on HBO first week of December. I've done interviews with MSNBC, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist from London, and we've done TV interviews on journalists that have come to Georgetown on five different continents. If you would have told me that three years ago, I would say you're absolutely crazy. It's I, I don't know. We were adding it up the other day. And I think I've done TV interviews that translate, or TV interviews in the movies will translate to a half a billion people have learned about Georgetown through my appearances on national TV and movies. Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to add, amazing, 
many, many hundred to that through the Life and Accounting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. So that to answer your question about what is the most surprising, that's it. Wow. Pretty pretty amazing that I mean one one day one week we did the Economist magazine interview on a Wednesday a local TV station out of Fort Stockton on Thursday, and the senior business writer from the Wall Street Journal on Friday. And Al Gore visited Georgetown last summer. We filmed for half a day, and a tidbit of that is in three minutes or so, or is in an inconvenient sequel. We were also a clip of that. Al Gore was on Colbert, Stephen Colbert's show, and the clip that they chose to show was the Georgetown clip, which is pretty amazing. So... That's been quite surprising. That is amazing. I'm sure you, you knew that at some point you'd be on TV on a local station. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I was thinking maybe <laughs> some you know, maybe three of the networks in, in Austin, maybe sure. occasionally we would do an interview with them, but I never thought that I would be on NBC Nightly News or MSNBC or in three documentaries or with all these periodicals as well. But it is part of it is part of promoting my city that I'm so proud of, and I do say to everybody, you know, Georgetown is the greatest city on planet Earth, and it truly is an amazing place to live, work, raise kids, and retire. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, before we get to the final questions, I end every podcast with. I always like to give our guests the opportunity to talk about any. You know, nonprofit interest or any event coming up. This episode will come out at the end of August, maybe first week in September. Do you have anything coming up later this year that you'd like to highlight? Oh, I would. Uh, my wife's the executive executive director of the Williamson History Museum. Her name is Mickey Ross, and one of their biggest fundraisers of the year is the Cattleman's Ball. And it's going to be at the Sheraton Convention Center in Georgetown in mid September. And it's a fundraiser, so uh, after cost, the remainder goes to the museum so that they can continue doing the wonderful things that they do. They see over 10,000 school-aged children a year that are going to learn about uh, Williamson County history. And so if you need more information on that, the museum's phone number is 512-943-1670. Again, that number is 512 512- Nine four three sixteen seventy, or just you can Google the Williamson History Museum in Georgetown, Texas. They've got an outstanding website, and all the details are on their website. Wonderful, thank you. We'll, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes as well to go online with the episode. Wonderful. Oh, that'd be fantastic! Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, getting to the final questions. First question I like to ask every guest is, "What has been your proudest moment?" Probably being in business for 10 years and being able to have Sherry Champion come on board with me. Most businesses, if you can make it through the first five years, you know, they will absolutely succeed. And, you know, we're, we've been in business now 11 years and we, we continue to have quality growth. And that's just pretty amazing. I, I think that this is my dream has come true. I will work at the CPA firm that I founded uh, until my retirement. And so that was the ultimate goal back then, and it's just kind of neat to see that dream come true. Yes, congratulations. That, that, that is Thank wonderful. Thank you. It's wonderful to see someone's dream working out. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made. 
what you learn from it. And, and frankly, the more colossal, the better. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been very blessed. I really haven't made too many big ones. Probably what I would say is if you're going to do an agree, if you're going to do agreements, especially if you're buying a firm and you have a clawback in it, say if you don't reach the revenue target that the sellers <laughs> indicated was normal, you definitely have to have that in writing. Okay. Unfortunately, you need, in these days, you, you need to have everything in writing and let the lawyers make sure that it's, it, it's, it's good. Because if not, some of that clawback money may not be coming your way. Wonderful. That is good advice. Well, the last question before we say goodbye, what's the best piece of advice that you've received? That <laughs> when I was 16, my first <laughs> boss, Chris Doyle, a great mentor for me, gave me, and I still remember it, you know, after all these years, 90% of life is showing up on time and where you're supposed to be. That's 90% of life. 90%. (laughs) 90% of life is being where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. And and that's absolutely true if you're ever going to want to own your own CPA firm. I think I've been late in the last two years to one client meeting. And that should never happen where my clients have to wait on me. Their time is valuable, and it's just part of being a professional to be able to to manage your schedule. That is great advice because it's taken for granted by a lot of people, but it it really makes a difference to the other person. Oh, it does indeed. And it's a respect thing with me, too. Me showing up, if we have a 10 o'clock appointment, I'm there at 10 o'clock, I'm showing you respect because I value you, not only as a client, but as a person, but also I respect and value your time, and I'm not going to let you waste your time, and I hope you won't waste my time not being late and and not showing up when you're supposed to show up. So that's probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Well, thank you, Dale. I knew we were going to get into talking about being mayor, and and that was going to be interesting, but I didn't know that we were going to get into talking about acquiring practices and and insights on that and growing a team, and so there's just been a lot of bonuses in this. Well, it's it's been a pleasure talking with you. You know, we have, life is not linear, you know, and and what is the, what is the Steinbeck book? Uh, The best laid plans of mice and men. (laughs) I think people need to remember that too. Life is not linear and you're going to have challenges along the way. Plans don't always work the way you think they're going to work. But you know what? Life's been a blessing to me. Things have been very, very positive. And my wife, Becky, and I are so thankful to be in Georgetown, Texas and being able to live the dream. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I'm going to watch for you on TV from now on. Tonight, 530 NBC. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. I enjoyed it, Mark. Have a great day. Thanks. You too, Dale. Once again, that was Dale Ross, owner of Ross and Champion CPAs in Austin, Texas, and mayor of Georgetown, just north of Austin. Like I mentioned, I knew it would be an interesting conversation from the standpoint of the story of how Dale decided to run for mayor, but I didn't realize we would get into the topics of acquiring practices and building a CPA practice. Dale had some really good insights for us there as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Once again, if you would be so kind as to email us at info at whereaccountantsgo.com, and let us know more or less where you are in the world. 
We'd love to get an idea of how many listeners we have that are actually outside of the Texas area. It'll help us quite a bit with planning for the future. That's info, I-N-F-O, at whereaccountantsgo.com. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for joining us. See you soon. There's more to come.